Today, we're gonna, um, our message is going to cover James chapter 1. So if you want to turn there, it's right after Hebrews in the New Testament. Uh, we're going to go through James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Um, and uh, so kind of pick this passage. We did the James Bible study with the students. And then the Iron Men, um, the men's Bible study as well. We did James as well. So it just made sense, right? Bob came to me and asked, I said, yeah, you know, let's we'll start James 1, right? Um, and so that made sense. But if everybody's turned there, if you will, go ahead and stand real quick. We'll read through these uh, verses, and then I'll let you sit down, and uh, we'll go through uh, verse by verse. So James chapter 1, 1 through 18, says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his, in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray real quick and open up our service. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everybody that's here and anybody that may be watching online. And Father, I pray as we read uh, through James that we will examine ourselves, uh, we'll examine the different situations in our lives and um, really uh, dig down into what we uh, draw our strength from and um, what the focus of our lives is. So Father, I just pray that you be with us, that everything that we say, do, and think here will all glorify you. Father, I ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. So before we jump into chapter one, I did want to just do a brief background of the author of the um, letter and um, a background of the letter itself. So James is believed to be the next youngest brother of Jesus. Um, so that is who um, scholars believe wrote this book. And uh, what's interesting, too, is that James was not a believer until after the resurrection of Jesus. Um, it says in John 7, 5, it says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. 
uh, which I thought was really interesting. And But later on, James is present in the upper room, um, and he would later become the head of the church in Jerusalem and also known as a pillar of the church as well. So he became, you know, a rather important early Christian and pillar of the church uh, back then. And uh, so he's writing this letter, and he's writing it to the scattered tribes of Israel. So he's writing it to Jewish Christians. But this book, too, um, you know, he's drawing from a lot of things, a lot of Proverbs and a lot of the teachings of Jesus as well, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. And so he kind of keeps going back to and quoting a lot of different things from old Proverbs and then also things from Jesus' teaching as well because he was right there living with Jesus. Um, And so it's really a book, too, that encourages uh, Christians to mature in their faith, to really um, take a look and um, examine themselves thoroughly for, like, true saving faith. And he also emphasizes a lot, and some people criticize this some, but he, he emphasizes a lot about good works, and stuff like that. Not that those good works are what save us, but that once we are saved and we have the Holy Spirit in us, that good works are something that should flow out of a maturing Christian. And so those are all things to remember as we kind of go through here. But when we look at James chapter 1, it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So James starts off and he identifies himself not as hey, I'm James, the brother of Jesus, or hey, I'm James, I'm the head of the church, or any of that, he identifies himself as a bondservant. And a bondservant back in in those times, it's a Greek word, and it comes from the word doulos, which just means a slave that's wholly owned by a master. And so that's how he's identifying himself. And he also identifies Jesus Christ, his brother, as Lord Jesus Christ, and that word is kurios, um, which is essentially the master of the doulos, of the bondservant. And so he's setting everything up. That's how he opens his letter. It's not, hey, I'm, I'm James. You all know who I am, or I'm the brother. I'm, I'm a servant. I'm a servant, and Jesus Christ is my master. And so that's how he opens this letter, and, uh, and he just says greetings. And then he goes straight into things, into verses 2 and 4. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so he starts off and he says, My brothers, my sisters, it's not whether you will have trials or whether you will whether you're going to have affliction and different things happen in your life, it's going to, it happens to all of us. And pretty much everybody, especially at that time, the church was being persecuted heavily. So this all made a lot of sense to them, but it really makes a lot of sense to us as well. Um, and so I'm sure like if we stopped right now and went like person to person throughout the room and said, hey, these are trials that I've overcome or these trials that I'm going through right now. We could probably be here till next week, right? We've all, we've all been through different things. And so um, James is saying you're supposed to count it all joy when you fall into those various trials. And I like, too, that wording. Some, some, uh, thing, some translations may say when you meet various trials, but I love that wording of, like, fall into them. 
right? It's just that it's, it just happens, right? Like things happen in life, and sometimes we don't expect them. Most of the time we don't expect them. And so that's what James is uh, throwing, you know, showing to us. Um, he's saying, have you all felt like you've ever been thrown into the deep end of the pool? You don't know how to swim? And maybe you were wearing your cement shoes that day. Right? <laughs> that seems to be when things happen. He's saying these things are going to happen, but we are to count it all joy. And um, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to take a look at one of God's servants, one of his greatest people in the Bible. And we'll, we'll turn there in a second. But one that God stated as being blameless, upright, um, and how he dealt with trials and afflictions. So if you guys will turn to Job chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 13 to 22. That's Job 1, 13 to 22. This is in the Old Testament right before Psalm. Um, but while you guys turn there, so right before these verses that we're about to read, God and Satan are having a discussion. So Satan approaches God, and he starts, he starts speaking to God, and, and he says, God says to Satan, he says, have you, have you considered my servant Job um, that there is none like him on earth? So that's how Job's described, and he says he's a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan is sure in verse 11, right after God said that, that if all the blessings that God had given Job, because he was well off and he had a big family, everything was going pretty well for Job. Satan's sure if, like, if all that is stripped from Job, that Job will curse the name of God. And uh, so God gives Satan permission. He's, he, gives, he gives Satan permission to lay his hand on anything that Job has, but at this time, just not on Job himself or his life. And so that's where we start off in verse uh, 13. And so I'll read through these as well. It says, Now there was a day... When his sons, this is Job's sons, and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now, I repeat all of that. This is like bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. And it just kind of progressed, keep getting worse to the point that he lost his children. And so thinking back to what James had said to us, James is saying, my brother, my brother count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And Job 
he goes, he, he, he has all this loss, and yes, he's mourning uh, all of that loss. He, he tears his robe, he shaves his head, he falls to the ground, but he starts to worship God. And we see later, like, this is just the beginning of Job's trials, um, but he is truly a good example of a patient and a steadfast believer. Um, so we read, we read just a second ago, he lost his children, he lost his livelihood. But in chapter 2, Satan goes on and is given permission. He also, uh, Job experiences boils all over his body. So he experiences physical pain um, as well. Um, and, and in that, Job 2.10, he says, Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So more bad stuff happens to Job. And he's saying, he's saying, listen, I accept good from God. Should I not also accept the adversity that's in my life? And that, that is a great example of counting things as joy when we go through trials. Job's later critiqued and mocked by his friends. They, just like our verse in John, our passage that we read for the kids, um, his friends are coming to him saying, what did you, how did, like, your sin has done this to you. Like, this is, this is why you're going through all of this. And Job persists. He never curses God. He does go through a spout where he curses his own life, his own birth, wishes he had never been born, right? So he's mourning. He's feeling all of this, you know, for real, but he is not blaming it on God, and he's not cursing God. And at the end of the account of Job, in chapter 42, um, Job's restored. He's restored with twice the amount of um, livelihood that he had before. And he's also um, given seven sons, three daughters. He lived to be an old age, saw four generations of his family grow up. Um, so there is, there is reward in all of that. So I'd like us to Go back to James chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 3 and 4. James says, we're to count it all joy when we go through trials, but it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And some of your translations may say steadfastness. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this takes us to like the first main point of today, today's uh, message. The trials we experience are test of our faith, and they are things to bring honor and glory to God. So the test that we, the trials that we go through, um, are they are test of our faith, and they're things to bring honor to God. Faith is not something that's produced during the trials. It's something that's testing how much faith and what faith you have uh, during those trials. And it's not only to reveal our faith to ourselves, which I think is important, um, really being able to stop and, and lean on our faith in God, um, but also it shows it to others as well. How many, how many people do we know in this room that have, you know, they've seen somebody go through something tremendous that should just break somebody, but instead that person leans on their faith in God, and the Bible says, it, you know, that peace that surpasses all understanding um, so when James says that patience is produced in trials, that word patience comes from a Greek word called hupomone, um, which means 
under and stay, abide, or remain. So remaining under. And that's the idea, um, steadfastness, patience, remaining under something. And a good way to look at that is if somebody's under, let's say, an extreme amount of weight. And instead of just casting that off and walking away or giving up, they choose to remain under it. Um, and so I thought, I thought, like, what's a good example of this? I thought back, have you all ever seen the World's Strongest Men competition? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Herculean men, massive this and that, they have something called the hammer hold, okay? And it's this big hammer. It's 30 kilograms. Anybody know the conversion rate to that in pounds? 66.1 pounds, okay, is this hammer. And what they do is they have to take this hammer and they stand on a platform and put their back up against something to kind of prop them. And they go like this and they hold the 66-pound hammer as long as they can. And in about 30 seconds, these guys that actually work out, right? <laughs> they're, they're convulsing, you know, and they get to the point, that, uh, you know, and they, they end up dropping it. The, the world record for that is 62 seconds. So just over a minute is how much even the most strong of men can hold that. But I thought it was a good, like these guys are pushing themselves to the point you and I, because we're not trained and stuff like that, one, we probably wouldn't be able to hold it out there to begin with, right? Um, but nonetheless, these guys hold it to the point that their body's hurting them, their body's failing, but they hold on to it anyways. And it's because they've got that goal of holding it as long as they can. They're remaining under that weight. And Job kind of did the same thing, didn't he? Like, it seemed like everything was crumbling with him, and he just keeps holding on. He doesn't curse God. He holds on to what he knows to be true. And, um, and that's why he was able to say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something else. So with everybody in here, we're all going through different things. We're all going through different trials. It may be now we may have just gotten through something. And so the question James is begging in all of these questions, are we counting all of our situations as joy? And are we, are we even considering the things that we're going through as test of our faith? I think sometimes we may not even think about that. Um, you know, it just may be, oh, this is happening to me. This is, how can I fix this and that sort of thing? But a lot of times we don't even stop to think, hey, this is testing my faith. And what that can do, it can actually bring glory to God. Um, the question, too, am I complete, lacking nothing? That's what James says. He says, be patient. Be steadfast in all of these trials that you're going through. Let that patience, let that steadfastness have its perfect work in you. And that way you're complete and lacking nothing. That's why Job, you know, listen, I'm going to mourn. I'm going to shave my head. I'm going to tear my robe. I'm going to do all this stuff. And I'm going to seriously mourn all of my loss. But, hey, God blesses, he takes away, it's all for him. And um, so if our question, any, or if our answer to any of those questions is no, James goes in to say what we should do next. And that is, he urges us to pray for wisdom. So in verse 5, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So during seasons of trials, afflictions, 
all of these things, it's absolutely a, a, an appropriate and a necessary time to ask for wisdom. Because I think us all being adults in here and some kids, this is a good lesson to learn as well. As you go through different things in life, and especially during trials and times of affliction, we, we a lot of times make decisions out of fear, right? We, we, we do things out of fear, out of our own weakness, um, out of despair. And so a lot of times we do things that we ordinarily would not do or make decisions we ordinarily would not make, or we say things, too, that we ordinarily wouldn't say. And so the promise here is to ask God for wisdom, and God will give it to you, and he'll give it to you liberally, in abundance. Um, And it says, without reproach, meaning we didn't do anything to deserve that wisdom, but God will give it to us anyways, and he's not going to despise our request. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Phil, you've done a lot of sin, and... Listen, you don't, you don't deserve my wisdom right now. He, he doesn't say that. It says if you ask of God for wisdom, he'll give it to you abundantly, and he'll do it without reproach. He doesn't despise that request. And um, it's, it's all out of his goodness. Verse 6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So countless times in the Bible, we're told to have doubtless faith. Faith without doubting. um, I think it's something that comes natural to us. I think a lot of times we are doubtful to begin with. Um, But we're told, Matthew 18, Jesus tells people, Unless you become like these little children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's that doubtless faith. And again, Jesus is walking on the water, and he tells Peter to come to him. And Peter steps out. So Matthew 14, uh, Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water, and comes towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when he saw what was around him, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reaches out his hand. Catches, catches Peter, and Jesus says, you have little faith, why do you doubt? And, uh, and so James is telling us, he's saying, don't, if you're going to ask of God for wisdom, don't doubt that he's going to give it to you. He will give it to you. Um, matter of fact, if you doubt, you're not. You're not going to get anything. You're, you're a double-minded man, unstable in your ways. And so we're told in Hebrews 4.16 too that um, it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's when we doubt, James is saying, we're unstable in all of our ways. Um, Folks, if we had no faith in God, we wouldn't ask him for anything. If we don't believe in him and we don't have faith in him, we're not asking anything of him. If we have no unbelief, we will have no doubting. Right? And so it's this middle ground. If you're in this middle ground of belief and unbelief, James is saying you're double-minded and you're unstable. And, that, and that's something, too. Like, when we think of stability and instability, we may think of, like, our home's foundation, right? Who in here wants a house built on an unstable foundation? Anybody? No? When you got your home inspection, did you want there to be a problem with the foundation? No, right? We don't want that. And so Jesus uses that same 
um, analogy in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The question I want us to pause and ask ourselves right now, if we took a spiritual home inspection, right? We looked at our foundation and everything that's in our life. What would we find in that inspection? And how nervous would any of you get if we heard, too, that a hurricane's on the way, right? The different trials and the, the different things that we're, that'll happen in life. If we know that stuff's on the way, how nervous are we, are, are we from, from that perspective? And the question is, have you built your house on solid ground? So James addresses all of these things, and then he goes on in verses 9 through 11. He kind of changes gears a little bit. Um, he shifts here from trials and wisdom, and he goes to kind of poverty and humility. And it all ties in, but he is kind of changing things up here a little bit. So in verses 9 through 11, James says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So this passage may seem like James is just bashing on rich people, right? I mean, that's when I read it the first time, that's kind of how I took it. Um, He's saying the rich are going to be humiliated. The point James is getting through here is that it is both rich people, it is poor people, it's the high in stature, it's the low in stature, all of these different, everybody on this planet at some point goes through trials. And so in the first verse where it's saying, count it all joy, my brethren, when you go through trials, James is saying, whether you're rich or poor, you're to count it all joy. For the, for the lowly or like the poor person, um, right, that has different needs, um, when God lifts you up, that's a blessing, right? And as, as a, like, if a, if a richer person happens to be, um, you know, put down or humiliated or any of that as well, that's also a time to count, count as joy because he's being, he's being humbled. Um, and so everything is, is to be considered in light of eternity. So that's it. James is reminding all Christians, rich, poor, everybody in between. He's saying place your identity in God and not in the things of this world. Um, Matthew 6 says the same thing, and this is a familiar passage to most. Um, but it says, Do not lay up your, for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. James also reminds us too, like our lives are finite. He's saying, we've heard like several passages too, like our lives are a vapor and that sort of thing here today, gone tomorrow. And James is saying the same thing. He's saying the grass grows, it withers just as soon as the heat hits it. 
it's like that, y'all. And and so he's he's trying to remind everybody as well to not only count your blessings through the midst of trials that will come, but that also we should have that eternal perspective, and that that can help us through times of trial as well. That this is not forever, and uh, that's a good thing to remember. In verses 12 through 15, James goes on. He says, "Blessed is the man." who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When James says in verse 12, blessed is the man that endures temptation, it's something that should give us all hope. Like everybody in this room, it should, be able, it should be something that gives us all hope. Because I believe everybody in here at some point is tempted, and we can expect those temptations to continue in this life. And so that gives us the opportunity. James is saying, if you're someone that endures temptation, you're blessed. And so that's something to like look, you know, a silver lining, right? That these things come, if we endure them, we will be blessed and rewarded one day. Verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. James is getting forward the fact that God is holy, he's perfect, he's just, he's righteous, all of these things. He's not tempted of evil himself. He doesn't tempt other people with evil. And so that all the, all the temptations, all the evilness in the world that we see today is not of him. And it seems like a simple point, but I think sometimes we forget it. We sometimes question or have heard people question too, like why does God allow all this bad stuff to happen? And that's certainly probably a talk for another day, but this is what James is saying too. He's saying God's not tempting you. Um, and it brings us to our second um, main point of today. We're not tempted by God. We're tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires. Um, so we're not tempted by God. We're tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires, drawn away from God. Verse 14, it says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Um, I'm going to go through and read a passage out of Second Timothy and this passage talks about perilous times and perilous people, um, but it's a good um, kind of test of some of the different selfish desires that we can experience or uh, the attributes that we can have that can be things that draw us away from God. So in that passage, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Um, like I said before, if any of these attributes or actions or things that we can see in ourselves, it's a lot of descriptions of people. Um, but if, if these are things that are present in our lives, 
These are things that will draw us away from God. And James says when that happens, it's when we're, in, we're bringing in temptation into our lives. And so I would ask to a lot of those things we can apply to ourselves. Are we lovers of money? Are we lovers of ourselves? Um, do we have no sin in our lives? Are we grateful or ungrateful uh, for our situation? Um, are we unloving to others? There were some other words in there too. It says brutal. Like, are we compassionate to other people in their circumstances and empathetic? Um, are we headstrong? Are we obstinate and self-willed? Are we haughty? Are we arrogantly superior um, to other people and, and acting that way? Do we love our own pleasure more than we love God and obeying him? And so if we're obeying the ninth commandment, right, to tell the truth and to not bear false witness, right, if any of those answers are yes, like that's, I've got some of that going on in my life. Um, perhaps I'm not obeying my parents or I'm, you know, a lover of myself and not loving other people. Um, these are things that open ourselves up to other temptations. And James goes on in verse 15. He gives us a biblical biology lesson, which I love. He says, step one, step two, step three, step four, right? And so he says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And so he's doing this in a very relatable way. We've all at some point, everybody in this room has been conceived, okay? And we all were birthed, so here we are. And we've all either grown up or we're in the process of growing up. And at all point, we will one day pass away or if we're saved and God comes back or Jesus comes back, we'll go with him. But all of these things are very relatable. It's a very relatable way of, of going about things. And so um, in study, I thought, what is a great example of when desire has conceived and then it gives birth to sin and that leads to death? And I thought, I thought about uh, King David in Second Samuel. Uh, so Second Samuel 11 I'm not going to go through and read that passage, but I will sum it up. It's a cautionary tale, um, and I think it's something that we can really learn and, and pull through um, today. So King David um, was not where he was supposed to be at this time. It was a time where kings were supposed to be off in, into battle. Instead, J it, the Bible says that David stayed in Jerusalem. So he's where he wasn't supposed to be at the time. And he wakes up and he, he watches a woman bathing and she was very beautiful and he desired her and inquired about her and quite literally um, his desire um, conceived, right? So there was a baby that was born um, out, of, out of that sin and he, David goes so far as to cover up and to... Um, try to make right his sin by sending uh, this woman's um, husband off to battle, withdrawing troops so that he would die in battle, which he did. So in, in, in a weird medieval kingy type of way, he killed somebody. He murdered a man. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's a really uh, interesting point and something that we could really take ourselves when we're tempted and we, we have those temptations, much like David, we have a choice to stop. Like David could have seen Bathsheba bathing and stopped and 
walked away and I'm sorry, I, you know, I shouldn't have been where I was looking at what I am and gone and did what God wanted him to do. But he didn't do that. He goes as far as to take her, conceive a child, and then murder her husband. Um, and so James, like later in his book, and we got to this in the different like student Bible studies and the Ironman, like men's Bible study. In James 5, James uh, 5.16 James says, confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And, uh, and so we'll certainly talk in just a minute, but when we have these temptations come up in our lives, we can stop, we can overcome them. One of the best ways to make sure that we don't find ourselves in those situations or if we're trying to get out of them is if we have another brother or sister in Christ that we can confide in and say, listen, I, this is what I've got going on in my life, right? I've got, and then, you know, explain what you've got going on, what you're being tempted by, or perhaps even some sin that you've engaged in. Um, we, all, we all understand accountability, don't we? I mean, we all do. In, in our day-to-day lives, we have that. If we go to work or whatever we're responsible for, we have people that hold us accountable, and that's okay, but we often don't do it in our spiritual lives. And I recognized that during the Ironman study when we were talking and we went through that verse. It's like, when's the last time you went up to somebody and said, man, I, you know, I'm really struggling with X, Y, Z. Like, you know, this is something in my life that I'm struggling with right now and I need prayer and I need you to like check on me or, hey, can I call you? You know, different things like that. We don't do it. I don't, it's weird. Like we do it in every other part of our life. We're okay with it. It's normal, but not here, right? We don't want people to know what we got going on. And um, it, it's just, it's a good reminder. Um, and James points out that point, but I just, I thought that that example with King David, we can all relate to that, can't we? Things where we kind of started to dabble or we, we had a thought, we were, we were tempted in some way, and we just went on with it anyways. Uh, we sinned knowingly, and um, it's just an important point to remember. The third and final main point of what I want to talk about today during this passage um, comes from verses 16 through 18, and the point is that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So James 6 verses, or James 1, 16 through 18 James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. So just as we're the ones we let our desires conceive to sin and we let them draw ourselves away from God and bring in temptation, we bring sin and misery to ourselves, don't we? And just as that happens, God is the exact opposite. Like all good and perfect gifts, everything good comes from God. And um, James says there's no variation or shadow of turning, meaning that God's consistent. Uh, he never changes. He's consistently holy, perfect, good, gracious to us. Um, and then it, it also... In verse 18, James says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So a true Christian's regeneration, 
being born into, um, uh, being born again as a new creature with new desires, having the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, that's, that's him bringing us forth. And it, the word of truth here is talking about the gospel, about Jesus living that perfect life, sacrificing himself so that we can be redeemed. Um, and so that's what this verse is saying. It's, it's just that it was God's will for all of this to happen. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, anything of that. But he did bring us forth so that we can be renewed and regenerated and I love the last, the last part of this verse. It says that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And it didn't make sense to me at first, I guess. Um, I don't know, like what, you know, I guess we've heard first fruits and tithing and stuff like that, but I've never thought of it in this way. Um, the first fruits back in those times were special. Um, they, were, they were something that was to be consecrated to God, given to God, the first fruits of your labor. Um, and so that's what... That's what this is saying, too, that God brought us forth. It was his own will to be able to save us so that we can one day live with him. And as people, as his church, we, we talk about the church being the bride of Christ. Um, but this is saying, too, that we are to be a kind of first fruits of his creature, something special to him. Of all, of all the things that he created were special to God. And I thought that that was... Um, that was really beautiful and something, um, you know, that should really make us want to live more for him too. If we're special to God, he should be special to us as well and be our, um, be our primary focus. So in conclusion, I want to go back through a couple of the points. Uh, the first one being the trials we experience are test of our faith that bring honor to God. The second point being we are not tempted by God. We're tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires. And the third point being every good and perfect gift comes from God. So how do we apply the teachings from this passage to our lives? I think we've talked through a lot of that. But I do want you to think, acknowledge the trials that you've overcome in your life, anything that you have overcome. Um, acknowledge the ones that you're going through right now and look to those that are to come. And understand that those are a test of your faith. Uh, demonstrate patience and steadfastness during those trials. Um, lean on each other. We are to bear each other's burdens. And I think that's something a lot of times we may have pride in our lives. That was one of the things in that passage, just being prideful, right? A lot of times we don't like to lean on other people or ask for help or you know, even let people know what we've got going on or what we're struggling with. Um, two, recognize your selfish desires and distance yourself from them. Draw near to God through prayer, through reading his word, leaning on other Christians for accountability. Um, overcoming temptation pleases God, and he will reward us for it. And third, thank God for every good and perfect gift he's given to you. Um, praise him, share his word with others, um, and just love each other because he's good and we want to show that goodness to others. So um, we will go ahead and sing one more worship song and then uh, close out in some prayer, okay? All right. Let's close in a word of prayer if that's all right with everybody. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everybody that's here and everybody watching online. Father, I just pray that you would um, help us apply 
the verses that we spoke in James 1 uh, into our lives. Father, I pray that we would grow closer as a church, grow closer, closer together, that we would help each other through trials and afflictions. And Father, just find those uh, times in which we can do so. I pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. <laughs>